Giants, what I'm about. And what I'm about is an old school physical mentality. Okay? We're going to put a product on the field that the people of this city and region will be proud of. Because this team will represent this area. We will play fast, we'll play downhill, we'll play aggressive. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes, we'll play every play like as a history and a life of its own with a relentless competitive attitude. Everybody, good evening. Welcome to another episode of Big Blue Avenue. It is number 14. I'm Tom Scavetta, joined alongside my co-host, Hank and Dictor. Hank, thank you very much for joining me tonight. Hope you're uh, doing well during this snowstorm. I know I was out shoveling all day, so definitely a hectic one, but glad we're here tonight on the show. Yeah, man. As, as always, thanks for having me. 14 episodes. Dang. Feels like we've been doing it longer, but it's been a great run, and uh, I'm ready to talk about this week, even though, am I really? I don't know. We will see. We will see. But before that, remember to go subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. That is the name. Uh, And then also on our ticker below, make sure to give us a follow on Facebook at Review and Preview Sports, on Instagram at Review and Preview, on the Anchor. All right, so uh, before we get into this Arizona game, I'm just going to go ahead and say, whoa, what a Thursday the New York Giants had. It was not the best day. First off, we woke up to this this morning. Offensive coordinator Jason Garrett tests positive for COVID-19, Hank, and obviously he was a big centerpiece of this past week's game against Arizona. Got a lot of criticism for it. And you hate to see something happen like this, especially to your OC and pretty much uh, what is a must-win game this Sunday. And now we're not going to have Garrett. Yeah, it's crazy. And, you know, that's not even – it's not even the only turn of events that happened. There was a bigger bombshell that was released a few hours later. But we'll get to that later. Jason Garrett, I don't care what you say, especially despite, despite what happened last week. I still say losing your offensive coordinator and the guy calling plays is kind of a big loss. And suffice it to say, uh, Freddie Kitchen's going to have some big shoes to fill, but at least we know that he does have some familiarity because, remember, he did coach with that same Cleveland Browns a year ago. That's right. So the Giants are going to elevate their tight ends coach, Freddie Kitchens, to replace Jason Garrett as the offensive coordinator while he is quarantining. So that's going to be an interesting storyline to follow on Sunday's game, being that he is the former Browns head coach. I know he was also their OC running uh, running backs coach before getting that position. And then, Hank, a couple hours later, Giants cornerback, well, this afternoon, Jason Bradbury placed on COVID-19 Damn. list. And uh, Brad, we will not have Bradbury bunker on Sunday. He did not test positive for the virus. Somebody who – was a close contact of his did, and it was not related to the team. So, Hank, as much of a blow as Jason Garrett is, this is 
a humongous one. This is a lot worse than Garrett, in my opinion. Definitely. And now the Giants secondary is going to have their hands full with these Cleveland receivers, even without Odell Beckham. It's going to be a big challenge on Sunday as the Giants will go up against the Cleveland Browns. The 9-4, and four, new and improved Cleveland Browns. I've got to tell you, it's going to be a fun football game. I'm still cautiously optimistic uh, despite these recent transactions. Hank, I know we're going to get into our picks and stuff later on tonight. And remember, folks, if you like what you hear, make sure to subscribe to our podcast here. Also, any questions for us throughout uh, the course of the show? We're going to spend a little bit of time on Arizona. Not as much time because the game wasn't very good, but we're still going to break it down, show some film, go over some stats, and then we're going to transition into the Cleveland Browns game, which we'll spend majority of our show on tonight. And it's going to be very fun to uh, go through. So without further ado, Hank, the Giants lose 26-7 to as the Cardinals improve to 7-6. and on the year, putting themselves back in the seventh seed in the NFC, back in a prime wild card position. And let's go through the first half of this game. All right. So on the first drive that the Giants had, it actually looked a bit promising because they did get right to midfield. But then, unfortunately, that was when the wheels started to fall off. It was second and six. Daniel Jones gets sacked by Marcus Golden, loses eight yards. But not only that, he also has the ball stripped and Golden takes the fumble, and he returns it 30 yards to the Giants' nine. And the cards early on, right off the bat, they're in prime position. And, Tom, I got to tell you, you want to know what one of my my fears was before this game? It was that Marcus Golden was probably going to have a big impact in this game against the Giants. And I'll tell you why. It's because anytime a Giant opponent goes up against us, you know very well they are going to be motivated. They won't necessarily say it out loud all the time, but they're going to get motivated. It's just how it is. It's how athletes athletes are, you know? Oh, absolutely. And Golden wasn't the only former Giant playing for Arizona. They had Devon Kennard, who had a tackle for a loss. Uh, Josh Morrow on defense. Curtis Riley, who's a backup safety for them. And then Justin Pugh on the offensive side of the ball. So five former Giants on this Cardinals 2020 roster. Uh, and Hank, I believe we're going to take a closer look at that play now. And when I first watched this play live, I was like, what the hell? Because not only did Arizona cause the fumble, but they got it at our own nine-yard line. Yeah, no, it wasn't good. So let's take a look at what happened on this play with Marcus Golden. We'll break down the film, and here it is. So we'll remove that banner for you folks. And Jones does a little play action, and Golden basically comes in unmarked. I don't know whose fault it was. You had Toy Lolo and Caden Smith on the right side. I don't know why they weren't able, just one of them, to mark Golden. Luckily, Wayne Gallman comes in from behind and makes that play. But we'll get one more angle at it here, I believe. Uh, no, we will not, actually. But um, let's get to a comment here we have. George Bristol, my brother's friend, commenting, the cards were faster on both sides of the ball. George, you are correct. Hope you're doing well upstate with all that snow. I saw the pictures you posted earlier. Yeah, the Cardinals are a really fast team with Kyler Murray, D-Hop, Christian Kirk as well. Uh, Marcus Golden, our offensive line was unable to block them. Cam Fleming, that, that was a big issue, Hank. Uh, Cam Fleming going up against uh, Marcus Golden. We were unable to contain him. And once I saw this play, I'm like, oh, no, here we go again. Jones with the turnovers. Little did we know that story would develop later on into the game. But uh, 
before we move on, I just want to get your overall thoughts on the protection scheme on this play because I wasn't, I personally wasn't a fan. Yeah, when I was looking at that too, I, I pretty much said the same thing. I'm like, who who was blocking Golden? Like, who, who I don't know who missed, but it was obvious missed assignment because like he was all alone. He had a clear path, to Daniel Jones, and Daniel Jones. Let's put it put it simply, he couldn't like he didn't even have time to get rid of that ball. He he was just sacked and then lost the fumble right then and there. It was yeah, it was crazy, hundred <laughs> percent. But uh, anyways, to continue with this recap, the Cardinals would end up moving the ball to the one-yard line, and they had fourth and short. So Arizona figured, you know, let's go for it. One yard gets us the end zone, and if we don't make it, the Giants have to go 99 yards. But on the fourth and one, James Bradbury would deflect away a Kyler Murray pass that was intended for Keyshawn Johnson, not to be confused with the former Jet wide receiver, the same name, by the way. Spelled differently, actually. Yes. So the Cardinals, you might say, were unable to capitalize on a golden opportunity, and they would come away with no points. So, Tom, let's take a look at this James Bradbury deflection. Before we get there, I just want to admit that was a great joke um, (laughs) by you. But, yeah, let's take a look at Bradbury Bunker, which is what we like to call him, folks, and arguably the best corner. Bradbury definitely has my vote. A little nice play action. Tate Crowder does a good job backing Kyler Murray up where he has to elevate the football and throw it off his back foot. You're going to see Kirk in motion, and then here's what happens on fourth and goal. Watch Bradbury on the bottom part of the screen. He falls behind his receiver, number 19. Crowder rushes. Logan Ryan gets his assignment. Blake is on Drake. Crowder forces the errant throw, and Bradbury, you see, you watch that hand placement. The hand placement is what makes this play. Playing up and through the hands to the ball. And you see James right here knock the ball out late. And you heard it from Joe Judge, too. He knocks the ball out late right on time. And if they don't make that play, I think Arizona creates distance much earlier than what, uh, you know, Giants fans would have liked because obviously this game turned out to be a blowout. But this was an overall great play by the defense. They continue to not give up touchdowns in the red zone, and it's pretty darn impressive. Yeah, and I'm sure I, like you and a lot of other Giants fans, saw it after that. This would probably spark the Giants and lead them to big things later on. But alas, that was not the case. The Giants would end up following that going three and out. Didn't really have good field position to begin with. Cardinals get the ball back. They're driving deep into Giants territory, but... Of course, as we mentioned, that defense was was good enough to prevent the Cardinals from going any further, and all they would really get was a 34-yard field goal from Mike Nugent to put them up 3 nothing. And then – Nugent, he's ancient, man. He's so ancient. <laughs> yeah, that guy's been around forever. I remember when he was a jet kicker years ago. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, there would be another exchange of punts. Giants would get the ball back again, but also nothing to show for it. They did not have a good field position all game. Like, this would be a recurring pattern for them. So they would give the back to the Cardinals, and they, on the other hand, did get field position. And I think one of the big problems with this drive, they tried to get Darius Slayton involved early, but it just didn't work. And I think the main problem was Dennis, the Dennis Gardeck sack. It, it really halted the Giants on that drive. And Andy Opper with the comment, Freddie Kitchen's revenge game, revenge game this week? Let's hope so, buddy. I- <laughs> You know, it's the NFL. Crazy things happen. I would not be shocked if, for some reason, he came up with some sort of plan against Cleveland. As we mentioned, he is familiar with that team. 
This is the ultimate revenge game. You're going to see it. There are a lot of former Browns on the Giants, and there are several former Giants on the Browns. We'll go through the full itinerary of that uh, a little later on in the show, but Hank, you're 100% correct. Um, that Dan Arnold touchdown freaked me out. It was like a little, little lollipop type of pass, and Arnold just uses big 6'5 frame to pull it down, man. Oh, we're not there yet. We were talking about the – I haven't even gotten there. I got a little bit excited because that was my least favorite play of the game. But go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I'll, we'll rant about that later. That's anyway. my bad. And, yes, it is my bad. <laughs> so, the Cardinals <laughs> on the next session, they drive to the Giants 19. There was a big 20-yard pass to Dan Arnold. I don't know if that's the play you're referring to. But yes, that was the play that obviously was highlight. But, luckily, the Giants defense, again, they bent but didn't break. They forced another field goal from Mike Nugent, this one from 37 yards. 6 nothing Cardinals. But then from there, that's when the wheels started to fall off. Because Deion Lewis would be returning the kick, and he would fumble that. It was forced by Kyle Pitts and recovered by Trent Sherfield at the Giants 21. And, you know, I want to point something out. This is the difference between this week and the last week against Seattle. Last week in Seattle, you may recall, there was the – there was the Penny Hart almost touchdown recovery in the end zone off the block punt. That would have it would have made the score ten nothing. This one obviously led to a much worse fate, and I really think this was the game changer. I don't know about you, and Dan Arnold sounds like a CPA or something. Yeah, I could I could to- definitely see that, Andy. He does. <laughs> Andy Hopper bringing in the comments. Dan Arnold, yeah. <laughs> Danville, Illinois, native Trent Sherfield. Thank you very much, Andy. I'm looking forward to spending my Friday afternoon with you tomorrow, by the way. That should be a lot of fun as we're uh, trapped inside our homes talking college football on From the Stand Sports. So that should be a lot of fun. But, yeah, Hank, I do apologize. There were two Dan Arnold plays that ticked me off. That one was just the beginning. And then this this ne- this next one was the one that really uh, put, put me on the grill, man. I, I, I was not happy. Yeah, immediately afterwards. Actually, well, not immediately. Four plays, plays later, he threw that. That was the lollipop touchdown pass that you were referring to, I think. Yep. yep. 13-0 Cardinals, and what was this? His fourth touchdown reception in the last four games? Fourth touchdown reception in the last four games. Yeah, that's crazy for a tight end. A guy who, you know, is an under-the-radar type of player, Hank. If I asked you who Dan Arnold was a week ago, you'd probably look at me and be like, who? You know? Right, Tom, let me ask you this. Is there another pattern you notice about this? You know what? If I had a dollar for every time we said this, we would be very rich. And, yes, I'm stealing your catchphrase. Folks, if you're watching the show right now, what's one thing the Giants defense has struggled with since ancient time, since, like, before the Coughlin era? We can't cover tight ends. We can't. (laughs) Regardless of who it is. We had a third-string tight end, Richard Rodgers, go off on us in the Philadelphia. He was the leading receiver in both Giants-Eagles games this year, Richard Rodgers, out of everybody. And now we look at this, Dan Arnold <laughs> catches Kyler Murray's only touchdown pass. So, you know, I got, I got to tell you, great great play by that kid. Got to give him a lot of credit. And I guarantee you the next time the Giants play the Cardinals, he will be on the film study a lot more than he was this yeah. previous week. Not good. No. And in the remainder of the half, the Giants only had two more drives. Neither of them resulted in them getting out of their own territory. In fact, not once in this first half were the Giants 
past the 50-yard line. In fact, the closest they came was the Marcus Golden fumble strip sack. The Arizona, they drove to the Giants 36 in their last session of the half, but but fortunately for the Giants, again, their defense bent but didn't break, and they actually got them out of field goal range before they punted it away. Mike Nugent actually missed a 55-yard field goal on that drive, but a false start took them out of range. So I guess you could say that it could have been a lot worse for the Giants at the end of the half. And as I said, not once past midfield. This this was as bad as the first half as you could get. Yeah. I don't know what your thoughts were. No, it was it was really, really, really bad. And I just remembered because I was watching multiple games at once. Um and the Giants just, it seemed like every time they got the football, they'd go one step forward, two steps back. And I think they went away from their identity, which is running the football with Wayne Gallman. And that's how they've had success. You know, this four-game winning streak they've been on, they've ran for over 100 yards in all those games, which is something very important as a football team. You'd like to be able to run the football, control the clock, keep those opposing offenses off the football field, Hank. And, you know, it's just a shame that first half, was just terrible for this offense. And now we move into the second half, and on their opening possession, Arizona would drive the ball 77 yards on 11 plays. And this was another big play for them. Kenyon Drake, 36-yard run with a high motor down the field, putting them uh, in prime position to score. He would cap it off a couple plays later with a one-yard touchdown run, putting the Cardinals up 20 to nothing. And then, of course, the announcer brings up that this is his eighth rushing touchdown on the road this season so he's been very impressive away from home uh giants finally would respond though down 20 nothing big drive of their own they'd go seven plays for 75 yards daniel jones would have a excellent 39 yard pass to golden tate that put the giants at the cardinals one yard line that set up a one yard run by Deion lewis getting into the end zone Given the Giants' points, their only points of the game, at this point they're down 20-7, to but the highlight play of this drive is definitely the Golden Tate 39-yard reception. It seems like every game Golden Tate makes one big catch. Unfortunately, he doesn't have too many, but uh, here's one play I really liked in this game, probably the best offensive play of this entire game for the Giants. We got it in slow motion, and first off, look at the protection. Fleming has his man, Thomas and Lemieux, with the double. Gates is looking to pick somebody up. Zeitler has his man on lockdown. Jones steps up into the pocket, delivers a beautiful pass. And lately, his wide receivers have been doing a great job getting separation, winning those one-on-one balls. And you see it here again. Just lifts it up. And Golden Tate's not a big guy either. He's got a lot of athleticism for a 32-year-old player, Hank. Excellent. Yeah, no, that was that was probably one of the few highlights, if if there even were too many highlights of this game for the Giants. But no, that was the last. <laughs> well, maybe maybe the Deion Lewis touchdown, but yeah, I would agree. Yeah, you know, I, I thought the offensive line was pretty good on that first drive of the third quarter. They really didn't let Arizona neutralize them, which is good. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that was as close as the Giants would get as the two teams would exchange punts on their following drives. Cardinals get the ball back, the 50. Uh, They'd get another Mike Nugent field goal, 34 yards out. So then they'd go up 23-7. to And then this drive was a little interesting. Now, why am I saying this? Well, 
on this drive, the Giants had two opportunities to recover a fumble. Kenyon Drake fumbled twice in a span of three plays, if you remember. Uh, the first fumble was a ball that got popped out by Spicy Peppers, Jabril Peppers. That's what I like to call him. And then Kelvin Beecham, the left tackle, fell on it. Unfortunately, two plays later, David Mayo would uh, stick his paw in there and pop it loose again. And this time, backup tight end Seth Duvall fell on top of it. So, unfortunately, yeah, we, I mean, you know, you look at all these YouTubers making their videos. I mean, the entertainer, Mike, too nice. Even we are kind of guilty of it. You know, we were saying all week that the Giants are the favorites in this game. We're going to clip some wings, and that just wasn't the case. We didn't play well, and we all got proved wrong. You know, we're going to sit here every Thursday night and give you our opinion about the upcoming game every single week, but that doesn't mean we're going to be right. Uh, it's just unfortunate because that momentum gave Arizona one last fire in the fourth quarter because it was at that point where, okay, the Giants are down 20-7. to If they recover a fumble and cause a turnover right there, they're back in this football game. I think the turning point of this game was that drive, believe it or not, because if the Giants recover the fumble, they're back in it. Not being able to recover those two fumbles were missed opportunities by Big Blue, and it led to an Arizona victory. So essentially, it's what happened. I'm gonna I'm gonna agree to disagree. I think that's a good point. I do think maybe it gets the Giants in the game, but I still I still stand by my point earlier about the um, the Deion Lewis fumble. And the reason I say that was because remember that put the Cardinals deep in the Giants territory, and it pretty much enabled them to score an easy an easy touchdown if you think about it. And it, it made the it made the deficit a lot bigger, and I, I don't think the Giants would have been in this position in the first place. And remember, I, I think really because of that, the Giants really couldn't get the ball running as much as they would have liked to at that point. You bring up an excellent argument there, Hank. Um, but I don't disagree with your point at all, though. I think that I play, saying. the protection just wasn't there. I think that was so, that was just a terrible play by Dion Lewis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely see your point. I just think that point where they couldn't recover the fumble, maybe like the most important moment in the game. I mean, you could argue both ways for sure, but oh, yeah. uh, we will continue and move forward here with the fourth quarter of this game where, again, we all thought that Bradbury was going to blanket DeAndre Hopkins. We weren't saying that he was going to hold him catchless, but we thought he was going to contain them. We, we thought Hopkins would be held to around 60, 70 receiving yards. That was not the case. Uh, D-Hop showed up to play. Kyler Murray hit Hopkins in stride for a 41-yard pass to start the fourth quarter, but the Giants would force a punt. Uh, what happened was Dalvin Tomlinson got a nice sack on a third and 13 play. That was our only sack of the game. Unfortunately, we got the ball back, and then Daniel Jones would fumble on the second play of the following drive. A strip sack by Hassan Reddick recovered by Andrew Thomas at the two-yard line. And then now we're sitting there in third and 15, and you could argue this was the second best best play of the game, third and 15 at your own two, and the Giants convert for a 24-yard pass to Sterling Shepard. But then the Giants would – it's crazy, Hank. We only committed two penalties in this entire game. Unfortunately, both of them happened to be on the drive. Uh, False starts by Andrew Thomas and Nick Gates led to a Giants punt where obviously they were – Instead of a third and 15, they were now in a third and 27 following that 24-yard catch. So 
The Cardinals would add their last points of the game, a 30-yard field goal to extend their lead. Murray and Hopkins connected well again on this drive. couple 11-yard strikes against Bradbury. And then Jones was benched on the last Giants possession in favor of Colt McCoy. And, you know, I, I kind of want to talk about this, and we will in just a moment. But, you know, I got to tell you, McCoy converted a fourth down play. He looked good until the following play where Hassan Reddick would get his third strip sack fumble of the game that was recovered by Dennis Gardeck. This time the Giants were not so lucky at the Giants 29 yard line to seal the game for Arizona. And Hank, we're going to have a little discussion right now. Was Joe Judge, and don't get me wrong, I love Joe Judge. I think he is has a really good shot at potentially being a long-term coach of this team but you got to bring up this question should he have it not least remove jones sooner from this game i mean you know we could bring up the questions oh you shouldn't have started him this you shouldn't have started him that i I don't put that on joe judge that's him believing in his quarterback saying jones is going to give me the best chance to win this game on their center but you saw the production it wasn't there should he have pulled the plug sooner because obviously he was playing hurt So here's my stance on this. Like, I totally understand starting Daniel Jones, even though there were times I said only start him if you're 100% healthy, but I understood the decision to start him. And a lot of Giant fans will, a lot of Giant fans probably wanted him to start too before this game. Let's not kid ourselves. But in the first quarter, I could tell he, he did not look like himself. And yeah, Andrew, that's a great comment. Thoughts on Judge letting Danny Sneakers play? He obviously wasn't ready. Yeah, I totally, I completely agree with that. I could tell in the first quarter he did not look like himself, and I didn't think it was going to get better. And I think probably, maybe either near the end of the first half or early in the second half, that's probably when they should have let Colt McCoy get in. Not right at the end when like the game was almost done and it was too late. I, I, I think that, that I don't think that was the best job on Joe Judge's part. And yeah, like you said, I like Joe Judge a lot too. I I happen to think he's doing a decent job at establishing a culture within the Giants. But at the end of the day, if we're going to compliment him and all the good job, the great job he's done, then we're going to criticize him when it, when the situation warrants it. And I think this is a completely fair moment to criticize Joe Judge. He definitely deserves a good fraction of the blame in my house opinion for this loss. And, folks, we're not going to sit here and say Joe Judge is a bad coach because that's just not the case. That's just not the case. In fact, I think Joe Judge is a great coach. He's the reason why we're in the position that we're in right now. But you have to realize that there's no head coach that ever gets away with never taking any blame at any point in their coaching career. Um, You know, and it's something that has to be brought up. Uh, So I think that's very important. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, even Tom Coughlin and I had my moments where I disagreed with him, but I still love the guy. No, 100%. Tom Coughlin had his moments, and then Joe Judge had a moment. That's all it yeah. was. But unfortunately, it unfortunately, this came at a bad time it is why we're dissecting this. Uh, the Giants' four-game win streak was snapped, and they would fall into second place following a Washington win over San Francisco. Uh, they would beat them 23-15, to 15, and then this loss also ensures that this will be the seventh non-winning season for the Giants in the last eight years. However, there were some good things about this game. We're going to get into them in just a moment, but first we have a question 
Kevin says, what do you guys think about Bradbury missing the Sunday night game against Cleveland? Can Julian Love defend against Landry? So, what do you, Hank, how about you answer that first? I mean, first of all, yeah, that's a very big loss. James Bradbury has done a phenomenal job at shutting down a lot of good receivers this year. And I don't, I wouldn't say it's out of the question. I think Julian Love's been a pretty decent underrated corner for the Giants for sure. But does, is he going to have a tough time? Absolutely. But I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's out of the question that he can defend against Landry. Kevin, I'm going to say this. Obviously, it's a huge loss. This is a positionless secondary. Patrick Graham is a genius. He's going to put guys where they belong. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think you're going to see Isaac Yadam get some of Jarvis Landry. I think you're going to see Logan Ryan get some of Jarvis Landry. And I I sure think you're going to see Julian Love on him at times because that's where Landry likes to play in the slot. Uh, I mean, you're 100% correct. So the way I foresee this going is, I mean, you're probably going to see Peppers back there at safety for majority of the game with Love or McKinney. You're going to see a hell of a lot of Xavier McKinney in this game as well, a rookie who's starting to play more, who, Hank, McKinney was one of the bright spots in this game for the Giants. Uh, And, Kevin, I I do hope that answers your question. I think Love uh, will be okay, but I think it's going to be a rotation of several different players. I don't think it's just going to be one guy. Yeah, I think that's probably the way to go. And like you said, I have a lot of faith in Patrick Graham. He's made some great defensive schemes this year, and I don't, I don't, I don't see how it, this week will be any different. He, I think he's done a great job. And this was another decent performance by the defense. I mean, I understand twenty six points, but your offense did put you in some holes. The defense made some big stops early on. They prevented touchdowns, turned them into field goals for the opposition. Uh, The defense did cause three fumbles, two of them on Kenyon Drake, as we mentioned, despite not recovering any. Blake Martinez, look, if there's one MVP of this game, it's definitely Blake Martinez because this man was slowed all week by a back injury, did not practice at all on Friday, but ended up playing 74 out of the 79 snaps for this defense, which is alarmingly high. And those five missed snaps were only situational snaps, Hank. It really speaks volumes to how great of a player Blake really is for that defense. And he's a real leader, too. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it. (laughs) I have a little faith, too. We'll see. We'll see. Xavier McKinney, we mentioned, made his first career start, had four tackles on the field for nearly all the first half snaps. Hank, he, and that's part of the reason why is because he filled in for rookie Darnay Holmes, who missed the game with a knee injury, but McKinney did not play much after halftime. Uh, we mentioned that Blake Martinez was our MVP of this game, but I want to reveal to you, in my opinion, who I think or who we think, Hank and I, we go over this together every single week. We come up with one Giants player of the week. And here's who we got for this week. It is the local guy, the New Jersey native, Jibril Spicy Peppers. You like what I did there, Hank? Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. 13 tackles for a safety. I mean, if you're getting 13 tackles as a safety, either you're pretty good being that eighth guy in the box or your team has given up a heck of a lot of passing yards. He did force a fumble in this game. You mentioned the biggest tackle he had was on Larry Fitzgerald for a three-yard loss, and 
on the season. The biggest stat that points out to me is those 10 passes defended. And over the past five weeks, the man hasn't missed a snap on defense. He's been the Iron Man. He's been out there the whole time, Hank. Yeah, no, he's been I would I would consider him one of the unsung heroes in the secondary, without a doubt. I know Bradbury gets a lot of the credit and rightfully so because he's been amazing, but Jabril Peppers has totally emerged over the course of the season. And once again, this is your daily reminder. We won the Odell Beckham trade. You know I wanted to put it out it there. It is. And um, Kevin, I just want to remind you, uh, our Browns content is coming up, so make sure you stick around for that in just a few minutes. I know we were talking before, and uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to that Giants-Browns game on Sunday night. And folks, remember, feel free to share this podcast, comment uh, with any questions you have, give us a thumbs up, and uh, yeah, we love giving you all things Giants, and you know we'll continue on here. The real question is, should the Giants extend Jabril Peppers? Because remember, he played his first two seasons with the Browns and we traded for him. So he's Mm -hmm. due for a contract. Uh, I don't know if we picked up a fifth-year option on this guy, but we inherited his rookie deal via the Odell trade. So now, um, do we extend him, Hank? I personally like the man a lot. He's one of the best players on our team, not just our defense, our team. And he kind of defines what being a New York Giant is. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. And, yeah, hopefully, if it's a reasonable price, definitely give him an extension. 100%. 100%. I mean, I think he he definitely de- deserves one. The problem is you got to take care of the boys in the trenches. you got to take care of Leonard Williams. you got to take care of yeah. Dallas Tomlinson. And we know the history. The Giants don't bring defensive tackles back. So there's a good chance one of those three may not return. Uh, and we know it's not going to be Leonard Williams. So that leaves two. Um. James Bradbury, who leads the league with 17 passes defended, uh, 75.8 pro football focus grade, will miss Sunday's game after being placed on the COVID-19 list. Kevin brought up Kevin Love. uh, Not Kevin Love. Ooh, wrong sport. Julian Love just a couple moments ago. I'm going to go ahead and say Logan Ryan is going to see a lot of Jarvis Landry. And you have to look out. It's not just him. Rashard Higgins has really emerged onto the scene these last couple of weeks, Hank. I really like what I've seen from him. And I think Logan Ryan is going to get a lot more reps. Xavier McKinney, Julian Love, all those guys. So I think Logan Ryan's going to be big. Uh, Dalvin Tomlinson was good in this game, too. He had our only sack. Two tackles for a loss, Hank. It seems like he never gets talked about. And that's usually a good thing. If you're an offensive lineman or an interior defensive lineman, because you're not going to get many sacks, but when you do, you're going to get recognized. And it's a game like this where you got to give DT some credit. Yeah, he's been one of the better players on the defensive line. And personally, I would love to see him come back. But with the Giants track record of defensive linemen, I'm not 100% optimistic about that either. So. But I, I will say this. We've also had a good performance from Kevin Zeitler, who I think he had the highest grade of pro football focus this week. What was it 8, 8.2? 9.2, yep. yep. And then Wayne Gallman, too. And here, here's the thing about the Giants' rushing game. If you get behind early on, you're not going to be able to run the football a lot. And Jason Garrett, being the former Cowboys head coach, we know that he does like to call a lot of passing plays. And it didn't really make sense on third and one. He was targeting – one-on-one, 30 yards down the field with Sterling Shepard. You know, but Goldman did have almost five yards of carry. 
again, we bring this up every week. He's not a sexy running back, but he gets the job done north and south. And, you know, he'll be consistent. He'll break out for one 50, 60 yard run once every four years. You know, <laughs> he'll do that once in a while. Like Seattle game. Yep. So some of the takeaways from this game, the offensive line took a major step backwards. We gave it, we gave up eight sacks to the Cardinals again. Uh, we gave up eight sacks to the Cardinals last year in week seven. Uh, most notably, Hassan Reddick, the Cardinals' young, talented linebacker, had a handful of sacks. He had five sacks in this game and uh, <laughs> set a record for most by any Giants opponent. So no individual player has ever had more sacks in a single game against the Giants. That's crazy. Thinking about it. And the Giants have been around for over a century. Almost, yeah, a century. Years. Almost a century. Almost a century. Um, also, fun fact. You know, you like your fun facts, but I, I, I like mine too. Go for it. He is the first player with five-plus sacks and three-plus forced fumbles in a game since 2002, 18 years ago. And the player that did that was Vonnie Holiday, quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. So that's going to be fun to watch. Wow, that's not somebody who I would have imagined. That's a great fun fact. Not someone I would have imagined. Marcus Golden had that strip sack against us. Dennis Gardeck had two sacks. Former Giant Devon Kennard with a tackle for a loss. And we have to look at our O-line. Nick Gates, Andrew Thomas, Kevin Zeitler played every single snap of this game. Cam Fleming and Shane Lemieux played 38. And Matt Pert, Will Hernandez only played 11 snaps each, I think. We know Hernandez is a better guard than Lemieux, but Lemieux just seems to gel in better. The, the line seems to play better when he's in the game. I don't know what it is, but it seems like that these last three to four weeks. And then, you know, you have a guy like Cam Fleming who, don't get me wrong, uh, we have a few friends that are Cowboys fans. We even know a couple Patriot fans. And when we first acquired Cam Fleming, they were not very impressed by him. So I, I, I'm, I'm not shocked he's come in and played like this. The Giants should have just kept Mike Remmers from last year. If they, I think the reason why is Fleming played under Joe Judge in New England. That had to be yeah. the reason for bringing him in. I think it is too. Daniel Jones. Let's talk about Daniel Jones. And now I understand the Giants are outrushed in this game by almost 80 yards. So a lot rested on the shoulders of DJ and in his limited mobility in this game, Majority of his plays came in the pocket. He did not attempt a single run quietly, which I think did not go unnoticed, but some people may have not caught on to that. I th- and you know, I think him not running earlier probably was the moment that I realized he really he clearly wasn't 100 percent healthy. Because we all know that besides throwing the ball, which we know he's he's got a pretty decent arm, yeah. his running is like one of his biggest weapons. It really is. You look at what he's done on his legs. He's been great. Uh, Daniel Jones had the lowest completion total of his entire career so far. As you can see, 11 of 21, three fumbles, lost one of them. And Jones has the most turnovers in the league since being drafted. So this cannot go unnoticed. I think we're starting to see, and look, Jones didn't play a full season last year and, they had a really short preseason and offseason this year. 
with Jones having to learn a new offense. Pat Shermer, he just got the hang of his offense until he left, and now Jason Garrett has come in. We're not going to sit here and make excuses for the guy, but I think people that are calling Jones to you know, be gone after this year, I think it's a little bit silly because yeah. this is technically only his first full season. You have to give Jones at least one more year. If he continues yeah. to turn it over like this next year or this time, then I think we can have this discussion about the Giants potentially drafting a quarterback. But right now, I don't think we should be having that discussion. We should be trying to build a team around Jones and his strengths. But that's how I feel. 33% of his pass attempts were in tight windows, and it's crazy because this goes to show you that Jason Garrett has not been good this year. 55.2% of Daniel Jones' passes were expected to be completed. That is alarmingly low. That is the lowest in the NFL, which goes to show you that Garrett's kind of being ballsy with where Jones is throwing the football. Uh also, look at Jones' stats in the red zone. In 2019, you guys are going to find this interesting, folks. 2019, Daniel Jones had 12 touchdowns, no picks in the red zone. This year, five touchdowns, three picks in the red zone. It's crazy. That's, yeah. I, I forgot that he didn't have a pick in the, in the red zone last year. That is crazy. Offensive line, I feel, has to be addressed one more time. I'd say a really good right tackle and then just draft a guard. Building around Jones, you have to correct the quarterback. I agree with the second part, but not the first. Yeah, yeah no, it definitely. Obviously, the protecting the quarterback is very important, but I don't know if the offensive line really needs as much as much addressing as other areas on the team, particularly cornerback. But that that's a drop discussion we'll probably have in another episode. I see where Kevin is coming from. We play in the NFC East. We go up against the Cowboys, the Eagles, and Washington twice a year. We have Chase Young and Demarcus Lawrence, most notably, as the primary pass rushers. You can throw Brandon Graham in the mix as well. Matt Pert was a third-round draft pick. We spent a very high draft pick on him. In order to be able to block those guys in Lawrence and Young, we need him to play. We can't be going again drafting another rookie next year because Cam Fleming is toast against those guys. We know he's a one-year bridge player. He's not coming back next year. It's going to be Pert in there because Pert is a developmental type of player out of UConn, which is not a big NFL school for talent. I mean, it's a local school, which is great. The Giants do draft a lot of local players in in the Northeast area, but it's not – a huge the, the competition you're going up against is not great um, in the American and whatnot. But here's the problem. It really falls on two people, Jones and Garrett, but Garrett more notably because, Hank, the Giants have had only one game this year where a wide receiver has graded over 80 on PFF. And the leading receivers in this game, the leading receiver was Golden Tate, his one catch for 39 yards. Yeah, that inflated things a lot. Sterling Shepard had three for 35, and Slayton had three catches. So here's my problem. The wide receivers are actually overperforming expectations as far as yards after the catch, as far as separation. This play calling, if you really sit there and watch the film, I watched 45 minutes of film last night. The wide receivers are not the problem, folks. They, They really are not. It's either Jones's inaccuracy or inability to read a defense 
where Jason Garrett is not doing the right decisions to put his receivers in the best position to make a play. That That's exactly what it is. I, yeah, I feel like it goes hand in hand, but I definitely would have to say Jason Garrett is a very big culprit in this for sure. And Jason Garrett played in our offense before. I understand it was <laughs> 17, 18 years ago, but he, he did. So uh, more ugly stuff. This is the first time since 2016 the Giants were shut out in consecutive first halves. Uh, the Giants were outgained 390 to 158. Hank, it was the lowest yard total the Giants accumulated since 2013. Against that was the game where we got shut out too, I think. Week three of the 2013 season. I remember that game. It's not the only time we've gotten shut out against Carolina. Yeah, I know I know where you're going with that. This that. game on Sunday against Arizona. Now, I understand, folks, we were not shut out in this game, but this game felt very reminiscent of the 2005 wild card game in the playoffs against the Carolina Panthers. Jake DeLome, Steve Smith, if you remember those guys. Mushin Muhammad. Right. Yeah, Mush Muhammad. Uh, Ricky Prohl was there, old old guy. Um, here's my thing. Yes, Jones didn't have three picks like Manning did in that game, but the offense was just non-existent. It wasn't good, and they refu- And the yardage correlates, the red zone stats correlate, the wide receiver totals correlate, everything correlates. The, the defense kept us in that game too. We only lost 23-0. This game we lost 26-7. to uh, This was also the lowest point total for the Giants since the Tennessee game two years ago. Incidentally, that was the last game I went to. The Tennessee <laughs> game, unfortunately. Yep. Yep. But let's talk just let's just talk about a couple of the players. Carter Coughlin. Really good rookie that I like. Seventh round pick, who fun fact, he was a top fifty prospect heading into his senior year. And if your last name is Coughlin in the Giants organization, you have big out expectations to live up to. Uh, Carter Coughlin made one really good play in this game early on. He brought the running back. It was either Kyler or Drake. I forget who it was, Hank. You may know. Drake. Drake. It was like a tackle in the backfield for negative three yards. Coughlin had seven tackles in this game, which was a career high for him. That's great. But sometimes the stats don't tell the whole story. And people will just look at the stat sheet. Oh, he had seven tackles. He had a great game. No. He didn't. <laughs> He's quick, and he was getting beat a lot of times on these short passes. So, you know, he's he's a good player. I'm not going to sit here and say he's great, but out of the edge rushers we have right now, he shows the most promise. He's, he's younger than Jabal Sheard. He's quicker than Cam Brown. He's the only one that's really been getting to the quarterback outside of Leonard Williams, if you think about it. You know, that, that's just my opinion. But speaking of Leonard Williams, the Cardinals offensive line really did a good job of neutralizing him, Hank. I thought he didn't get much cooking. This was a guy who played a huge factor in the Seattle game, two and a half sacks. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins destroyed James Bradbury. We already mentioned that. Kyler Murray. Hank, I thought Kyler Murray was able to manage the game very well. There's no stats that just blow up in your face and like, oh, he was – astonishingly good, but he won the Cardinals the game. I mean, he I, he was pretty yeah. good. 
He did, and I don't think he I don't think he turned the ball over either. Correct me if I'm wrong. Nope. No, he was a big reason that they won that game. And yeah, again, sometimes winning a game with quarterbacks is not necessarily all about the big numbers. It's about some of the little things and the big plays that really help. And speaking of the turnovers, the Giants lost that battle three nothing. So that's another. That was another big difference to them winning and losing this game. Not to mention, so was the time possession. Cardinals. We mentioned it earlier. The Cardinals had out had held the ball thirty seven minutes twenty three for the Giants and. It pretty much shows you why the Giants' defense at the end like gave up a few touchdowns and gave up 26 points because they were on the field for too long. It wasn't good. It just wasn't good. Um, the special teams was bad as well. The fumble by Deion Lewis was the special teams' first turnover of the season. And look, you're trailing 6 nothing in the second quarter, folks. Just imagine right now. You're trailing 6 nothing in a game. You're catching the ball. At the goal line, no blocking in front of you, and you take it out. I, I forget where he got tackled, but a touchback is the tw- is the twenty five yard line. Just take a knee, even if you're one foot yeah. away from the goal line. There's no reason to take that ball out. Um, you know the the, the giant special teams. It's gone from third in efficiency to twelfth in the last three weeks. It's been alarming. And uh, Big Red didn't have a good game either. No, and it, it was weird because his punting average was good, but there was a lot of touchbacks, man. Riley Dixon had eight punts. Only one of them was down inside the 20, so it's not like he was good either. <laughs> and then this was probably our second worst loss of the season. We've had eight of them. This was our second worst one. The worst one was the San Francisco game where we didn't score a touchdown and gave up 30-plus points. This one, 19-point margin. And that's not bad for a 5-8 and eight team. As terrible as that sounds, a 19-point loss is your second-worst loss of the season. It's not terrible for 5-8 and because you've had eight losses. It goes to show you the Giants' margin of defeat is much slimmer than other teams. Yeah, and I think that's really what separated them from the Jets that I noticed early on when they were 1-7 and because, like, m- pretty much more than half – actually, no – Almost all their losses were like by one score. It, it pretty much came down to the very end. So you knew eventually they were going to start winning games up until that point. 100%. And fair or not, Daniel Jones took a major step back. He's going to receive a good portion of the blame. And Hank, I think everyone wants to know the answer to this question. I know we touched upon this a few minutes ago, folks, but it's important to readdress this. Why should fans not throw in the towel on Daniel Jones? Tell me. Well, I think the reason is it's only his first full season. And this is the second year where he didn't really have a great, like, a legitimate offseason because, well, the first year was obviously his rookie season. As Pat, I'm sorry, as Lance Meadow explained on his episode, he didn't really get an ideal offseason there, and he wasn't even going to be the start of the beginning of that season. So we get that. This year, we all know what's going on. If you don't, you pretty much live under a rock. We've been going through a pandemic and didn't have a legitimate preseason. Training camp was different than most years. So I think next year, let's give him a normal offseason where we would assume hopefully that things will be much better by that point. And hopefully, maybe we'll see what happens. But with that having been said, I do think 
if at this time next year we're still seeing the same problems and he isn't quite progressing, then we can have a discussion about whether he really is the guy. But right now, I think it's pretty premature. I agree 100%. And that's why, regardless of how good or bad he plays, I'm not giving up on him. And, you know, it's a shame we brought up earlier. He did look better than Pat Shermer's scheme, but this man has to improve too. Daniel Jones is not the only person to critique. Jason Garrett's not the only person to critique either, but we want to address Jason Garrett right now. His play calling was poor, and the Giants have only scored 43 points in the last three weeks. Center Nick Gates brought up after the game saying that the Cardinals ran a 4-4 heavy package, which is four defensive linemen and four linebackers, which is something the team did not expect, which tells you the Giants, Hank, purely got out coached. Yeah. It's a shame, but it, it I can't even argue with that. It's true. They were out coach, plain and simple. Uh, is he the main culprit for the lack of scoring, though? I mean, I I, th- I don't know if we agree on this or not. What is your stance on that? I mean, I would say maybe a borderline yes. I mean, his play calling over the really hasn't been great. I mean, sometimes he'll try to get get too exciting, but he, I, I think he needs to realize he doesn't have as much talent on this offense. Yeah. And at the end of the day, when you look at this offense as a whole, it's not the most talented in the world. So before we come out and say, oh, Jason Garrett's the guy, the main reason for this offense being bad, like we got to look at the team around him. It's, it's not the best. So while, yeah, I'm not saying, I'm not na- saying he's blameless at all. I'm just saying, he didn't necessarily get the best hand, but he also didn't play that hand the best that he could have. You had a pand- I just think it really goes hand in hand to blame personally. You had a pandemic. You had a quarterback that's starting for his first year full time. Mm-hmm. You had um, pretty much a guy who hadn't been an offensive coordinator in 10 years. It's been a decade for him. Mm hmm. So I'm not going to sit here and continuously make excuses for the guy. The numbers don't lie, folks. The passing mm-hmm. and the total offense is terrible. The rushing offense has gotten better. Yes. But with that, the offensive line has gotten better. Obviously, Mark Colombo got fired earlier in the season. But the Giants need to get back to what made their offense successful in the first place during their winning streak, and that was running the ball effectively, pounding the ball through the trenches. Very important And this is our Jason Garrett graphic of the evening. We hope he gets well soon and that we have him back for week 16 against the Baltimore Ravens. I think we are going to meet him for sure. Depending on how this Cleveland game goes, regardless of what happens there, Garrett's a very important piece of the puzzle to this team in 2020. So, you know, I mean, it's crazy because this game is just weird. Defense – didn't break, but they're on the field for so long because of the offense. And then the special teams continues to decline. Joe Judge can't escape the blame forever. Washington won. It was just a crappy week for the Giants. Yeah. And not not to mention, you also had Dallas and Philly winning. Philly, like, sure. getting a shocking win out of all of them, too. That, that was crazy. Yeah. With Stunk was the whole division one. And now with Washington's win, they control their own destiny. But everyone's breathing down our necks. And heading into this Cleveland game, can the Giants regain control of their own destiny? Do you think that could happen? Yeah, I think they could. I mean, Washington has a pretty tough game, too. Remember, they just lost Alex Smith. He might he might be done for the season. I don't know. But I think he was a big reason as to why they had their own turnaround. And 
seeing what Dwayne Haskins has done this year, he hasn't been great. So he's, he has a lot to prove too. And against Seattle, that's not going to be easy for Washington. Yeah. So I do think it's possible the Giants could get back into it. Should they win this week against the Browns, which I'm not a hundred percent confident that'll happen, but you know, we'll see. Giants entered week 14 as the fourth seed in the NFC. They are now the 12th. And now we preview week 15 against the Cleveland Browns who are nine and four. They're coming off a tough shootout loss against the Baltimore Ravens on Monday Night Football, 47-42. My gosh, um, 89 points were scored. By the way, I'll give you a fun fact. That was the first final score of its kind ever, 47-42. Yeah? Scoregami. Would you look Scoregami at that? Me that. And it's That's one of my favorite all, pages. It's all because of the safety at the end, I bet. <laughs> That's right. Bet. But um, this is the first of two consecutive AFC North matchups for the Giants, both of which are playoff contenders. And uh, we actually have a question from Kyle Russo. If Colt McCoy wins this week, do you start Daniel Jones again this year? Hmm. Yes. Yeah. Do. If, if he's healthy, if he's 100% healthy, you have to. Yeah. No, I was, I was just going to say, yes, but – and I said this in last week's episode too. If he is not 100% healthy, you really got to be careful with him. So with that having said, I completely agree, Tom. What would be the point? McCoy would own two of the Giants' best wins in, he went from saying two weeks to three years. Um, I think he meant to say three years. I think that was a typo. What would be the point is that, we are sold on Daniel Jones right now. We need to get this kid as many reps as he can. And as as nice as it is to watch Colt McCoy play, um, we need Daniel a revenge game too. Exactly. Yeah, he's a former Brown himself. We need Daniel Jones in there, especially if we make the playoffs. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm just sick of hearing people saying they they if even if we made the playoffs, they'd rather see Colt McCoy start over Jones, like. What good does that do? Because here's the problem. If you really want success for this team, not just for for this year, but for next year as well, you would play Daniel Jones when he's ready and 100% healthy to come back, regardless of what the team's record is, because he's 23 years old. And you want to see him improve too. Him improving is is very important to the Giants' success down the road. I mean, I, I see I see where Kyle's coming from, but – um, if I say night about the Giants, he will say day. So uh, yeah, that, that, that's usually the way the cookie crumbles. But um, I yeah, I know. He I've has he has a legit argument. I just don't necessarily agree with it. Right. Um, fair. I think it's definitely something that could be brought up for sure. But I would go with Jones. That's just me personally. Yeah. Um, I, I think you would agree with that, Hank. Absolutely. Um, absolutely not As I said, Daniel Jones being successful is important. So yep. I just don't see what good starting Colt McCoy from here on out would do. If you want to see Daniel Jones progress in 2021, he has to close out the 2020 season. And it starts with Baltimore next week and then Dallas in week 17. And then if the giants win, the, the division, he'll probably get one, maybe two more games in the, in the playoffs. Uh, that's just the way I feel. Um, you could agree with it. You could disagree with it. Um, I'm just here to state my opinion. I'm, I'm 
no guy that's going to uh, not be transparent with you. But now there's another player who's not going to play in this game, and we're assuming Jones is not going to play, but you never know. He is currently listed as doubtful for Sunday. Uh, There's still hope that he could play, but Odell Beckham will not be playing on the other side of the ball for the Cleveland Browns, a game that was supposed to be his homecoming. Looking back at it two years later, did the Giants win the Odell Beckham trade? I think you know what I'm going to say to this question. Well, before you answer, here's who the Giants got. Jabril Peppers, O'Shane Zimenez, and Dexter Lawrence. Not going to change my answer. You know what I'm going to say. 100% yes. I already gave you a whole spiel. Well, we were actually, no, we gave you a whole spiel about Jabril Peppers and how well he's playing. I think if you look at this trade based on what Jabril Peppers alone has been doing, that tells it the Giants won. But Dexter Lawrence has been a pretty solid acquisition as well. So I would 100% score one for Dave on that trade. I'd rather take a 25-year-old safety who's a leader, an excellent interior defensive lineman in Dexter Lawrence, and a promising pass rusher in O'Shane Zimenez rather than a 28-year-old nutcase of a wide receiver who can't put together a 16-game slate year in and year out. I'm sorry, but that's just how I feel. Uh, how do we feel about the Vernon trade uh, acquiring Kevin Zeitler? Looking back at it now, well, Kevin Zeitler is an aging veteran, but at the time, it was a great trade, and I still yeah. think I, I still think Zeitler is our best offensive lineman. He's really good in pass protection. Uh, he doesn't give up sacks. He, he doesn't commit penalties often, and he's the glue. Regardless of how old he is, I, I understand this team is getting younger and younger year by year, and he's an older player. He's 30. But at the same time, you got to have veterans in that locker room. You can't just sit there and be like, oh, everyone has to be under 30. There's a lot of fans that are saying, oh, why would you acquire someone if they're 30 or older? Right, and you also, have to, remember, have anybody. <laughs> you also remember Vernon had a contract that I had to get rid of. Right, and it was so a contract. That trade made perfect sense at the time. I You did not hear me complain once about that trade when that happens. I still like Kevin Zeitler. I yeah, do. Yeah, me too. If he didn't cost this much money, I would say 100% we need him next year, 100%. To be, to be quite honest, I think both teams kind of did well with that trade. But, yeah. yeah, it's a trade I probably would have done again at the time. Just a reminder, folks, in case you haven't heard the news today, uh, Giants offensive coordinator Jason Garrett tests positive for COVID-19. And with that being said, um, the man who will step up in his place as the offensive coordinator for the Giants on Sunday night football is none other than former Cleveland Browns head coach and current Giants tight ends coach, Freddie Kitchens. Uh, This is going to be very fun on Sunday night. With this familiarity in place, how much of a factor will it be for the Giants, Hank? I think it could be more of a factor than people realize because he knows the way they play defense. Remember, he was only with them a year ago, and a lot of a lot of these guys are pretty much the same team that people expected to do a lot better. So, you know, I think that could work out in the Giants' favor for sure. And But, you know, we'll see. I'm still kind of iffy on the confidence about this game, but hope, hopefully it works out. Not to mention he's a former assistant for Joe Judge. That's right, Mississippi State. And I think they had a good relationship, and that's why Judge basically wanted to put him on his staff. Yep, 100%. So, Freddie Kitchens, again, he'll be going up against his former team. He stated that he's happy for his old town. Old team, I should say. Mm -hmm. 
Um, Giants wave cornerback Brandon Williams this week. You know, I was going to say also, didn't doesn't Joe Judge giving um, Freddie Kitchens play calling remind you of a similar thing? I think Tom Coughlin did that too in 06. Yes. He, he had Huffnagel. Yep. John Huffnagel got axed because the Giants went 8-8 eight and eight that year, got the sixth seed in the NFC. He wasn't a great coordinator. I, don't, I didn't really like him all that much. Who, uh, Kevin Gilbride? Huffnagel. Oh, Huffnagel. No, Huffnagel yeah. wasn't great. Between him and Tim Lewis, it was kind of a circus back then. I mean, Kevin Gilbride had his bad moments, but I, I still prefer him over Huffnagel. 100%. Gilbride was predictable and very old school. Huffnagel yeah. was just absolutely dysfunctional and atrocious. Yeah. Um, according to Pat Leonard of the Daily News, rookie quarterback Darnay Holmes did not practice and was working with trainers on the side. So we're heading into Friday. Darnay Holmes still has not practiced. James Bradbury placed on the COVID-19 list and if I had to take a guess right now, as far as the secondary goes for Sunday, we would probably see Logan Ryan or um, Julian Love in there as that second corner and probably get McKinney playing safety. And then the other, Love and Ryan, we'll, we'll probably see a lot of five defensive back sets on Sunday. Um, I, I think that would be key. You could also see a lot more of linebackers like Tate Crowder, Carter Coughlin, you could see a lot more different disguise schemes by the Giants. Uh, moving forward through our injury report, Kevin Zeitler was limited with a shoulder injury in practice, expected to play. Daniel Jones battling a hamstring and now a sprained ankle. He is, well, he's still technically listed as questionable, but he's doubtful in my eyes. Uh, and it's crazy because this game has been flexed to NBC for Sunday night football and will probably be sending out Colt McCoy, Freddie Kitchens. Uh, Hank, I've got to tell you, America is in for a treat on Sunday night. And let's hope the kitchens are not a mess like they were in Cleveland a year ago. There, there you go. Yep, that's a perfect way to put it. I mean, it was a mess. I mean, a lot of people saying, oh, playoffs this, playoffs that for the Browns, and it just didn't happen. It just didn't happen. Um, so, And what, it's, it's been a while since the Giants uh, have been on a primetime Sunday night game. Like, remember, we used to play the Cowboys every year on Sunday night football, it felt like. And I think the last time we even won a game on Sunday night was 2017, the first game they won in that infamous season. Week two. Uh, no, that was week week six against Denver. Oh, twenty seventeen. You're right. And then it's it's weird because heading into this game, the the Browns and the Giants have this weird rivalry that dates prior to the AFL NFL merger. Yep, Cleveland technically leads the all time series twenty seven to twenty two to two. But those are pretty much games where Jim Brown was their running back. Right. But since 1970, we hold the upper hand six to four in the series. Yes. So that's an advantage we have. And Hank, it's been a while since we played the Browns. Yeah. Last time we played them was uh, 2016. And I believe the guy in your jersey right there, show the folks in the camera your Sterling Shepard jersey. He is the only player on the active roster that was on the Giants last time they played the Cleveland Browns. I was in 2016. I don't even think he had a catch that game either. 
He had one rush for 22 yards in that game. Wow. Yep. Yeah, I rem- and the Giants won that game. It was a pretty close game, but then the Giants, I think, pulled away late. 27-13. That was probably the closest they came to scoring 30 all year that year. And they all, and the last time the Browns came to MetLife Stadium, Giants actually trailed 14 nothing at the beginning of this game. But of course, I never really worried that game. The Browns weren't that, were not that good that year as they were pretty much most years we've been watching football. And the Giants wound up winning that game 41 27. And I'll tell you another interesting fact the only time Cleveland has won a game against the Giants since their win in 1985 was Monday Night Football, Week 66, 2008. That was actually the first loss of the season for who were then the reigning Super Bowl champions. We were undefeated at that point. On yep. the year. Crazy stuff, crazy stuff. But um, let's get into some of our keys to the game. Uh, so the first one for me is we have to win time of possession, which is very difficult to do against the Browns. I think yeah. um, how you do it is try to establish a run early on and then do what the Giants did in the Seattle game. It's definitely very pivotal for this team to keep themselves ahead of the sticks. And with Freddie Kitchens at the helm, he could know a couple things about this defense that maybe um, you know Jason Garrett doesn't. I mean, it doesn't really matter because I mean he's still in Garrett's ear regardless. But uh, we have a comment from Steve. Losing Bradbury is a big hit for us, and I think it'll be difficult to overcome that. Uh, I do think there are a lot of young guys in the secondary that can play. Like I mentioned earlier, we'll see a lot more of Logan Ryan, Julian Love, Xavier McKinney, our second-round pick this year, who's been used sparingly. So I think there are a lot of guys in the secondary that can make up for his uh, you know, ground, but it's going to be an uphill battle because – you don't want to go into a week 15 football game against a nine and four team and say, Hey, we're throwing out Isaac Yadam as our number one cornerback. Yeah, no, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's really difficult to win time of possession against the Browns because Baker has some big men in front of him that definitely um, put you in harm's way a lot. And we call them Baker's bruisers. And here they are, his offensive linemen. Uh, Jedrick Wills, who was a first-round pick. Some people had the Giants picking him, and he's probably been their worst one. I mean, he is a rookie. He's only really I – mean, he hasn't even been that bad. He's the only one that struggled at times. The other four are absolutely outstanding, from Batonio over to Conklin. And uh, Jedrick Wills, he's pretty good in pass blocking, 79.6 PFF in pass blocking, and then Hank – the left guard, Joel Batonio. Joel Batonio is a left guard. And again, all these linemen are around the same size. Four of them are 6'4". They're all around the same weight. Conklin is the biggest one who they acquired via Tennessee in the offseason. He's 6'6". But Batonio, let's get to him. Third highest guard in football, according to PFF. Pass blocking, he's fourth. Run blocking, he's fifth. That is nothing to be happy about. He is amazing. He looks mean and green, Hank, and he's a scary-looking dude. Yeah, he looks like a lumberjack. (laughs) (laughs) And then we have a former Green Bay Packer in there, I believe, as well. That is J.C. Treader, fourth-highest-ranked center on pro football focus. 
He also is second in pass blocking among centers and eighth in run blocking. These are upper tier numbers in the league. Wyatt Teller, who in my opinion is the best guard in the entire NFL. All guards, left guards, right guards. He's the best guard in football. Wyatt Teller, here he is right here, number 77, 93.8 PFF grade. That is number one. And then he's also first in run blocking at 93.6. And then lastly, we have Jack Conklin, 6'6", 308, 84.1 PFF grade. That is ninth at his position. Hank, this is going to be a challenge. Yeah, reminds me of the Niners graphic that we uh, looked at weeks ago. I think that could be a big key for the Browns if if the Browns are going to win this game. This is a very good reason why the Browns will win this game. However, um, we do have another comment, and uh, I do want to get to Steve again. NFC East is a train wreck this year, but I'm glad to see at least it is up for grabs and teams are actually playing meaningful football in Week 15. You know, it's funny he should mention that because I remember after the division series, I'm like, gosh, the giant, the giant season is probably over, over b- before the Yankees is. Turns out I'm wrong, and I'm glad to be wrong about that. And, yeah, it, it's nice to have meaningful football, even if it's not a great division, not necessarily how I envisioned meaningful football, but take what you can get, right? Steve, the NFC East is actually nine and six over the last three weeks. That is insane. I mean, I read that last night and I couldn't believe my own eyes. I'm like, of course, the NFC East plays better later on in the, in the season. I mean, I still think they're the worst division in football. Don't get me wrong. They are a train wreck. He's 100% correct. But uh, lately, they've been doing pretty decent. They've been doing pretty decent. Some changes, some. Uh, Coming you know, a little bit more respectable, yeah some late season uh, heroics here for the NFC East maybe. Uh, But uh, let's get into another key, Hank. Stopping the run. Make Baker Mayfield beat you. Oh, definitely. Nick Chubb, I think, might be one of, if not the best running backs in the league right now. And he is somebody the Giants very much have to worry about. And I think if you can stop him and make Becker, Baker throw, that is a big that is a big difference between winning and losing against Cleveland Browns in 20, this year. Let's let's uh, put this into perspective, folks. If you're watching this right now, this offense is very Jekyll and Hyde. The Browns are the third best rushing offense in football because, in my opinion, the Browns have the best offensive line in the entire NFL. That's just my mm-hmm. opinion. You take Jedrick Wills away and they're probably no argument the best line in football but it's definitely debatable i think they're top three at worst um the passing offense though ranks 25th that is not great it's only been over the last couple of weeks that baker mayfield's really gotten it going throwing the rock i mean he just – the offense hasn't really asked him to do much throwing the football. Do you think it's a product of that, Hank, or is it a product of just the Browns missing Odell not really being a great passing team? I think it might be a little bit of both. I think the Browns are utilizing what they have in the run game because, like I said, I think that's pretty much how the Browns won most of their games, the really good run attack and a really good offensive line. And 
I don't, and it's, it's funny. It's strange as this may sound. The Browns have actually been doing better without Odell. So, you know, is it, is it possible that Odell Beckham's a member of the Ewing theory, whereas a guy leaves, gets injured, they do better. Yep. Yeah, I, I think really, I just think the run game is the way the Browns are built. It's crazy. I mean, your Giants went on a run to put them in contention, and the Birds went backwards. They, 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 they did for sure. Steve, I'm trying to see who's on your jersey. What? Uh, looks like he's an Eagles fan. Look at that. <laughs> looks like. Looks like yeah. a Brian Westbrook jersey. It's got to be an Eagles jersey, yeah. But um, looks like Brian Westbrook. Yeah, it does. I remember, uh, Steve. We actually the two Eagles games we talked about on our show this year. Those were fun ones. We, um, you know, we had a couple Eagles fans actually on for that, and it's very interesting to get a uh, pers- uh, another fan's perspective of a different team. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, keep the comments coming, folks. We we love the content. Make sure to subscribe to our page at Review and Preview Sports. Subscribe to us on YouTube at the same name. Hank, let's move forward. Pressure, Baker, Mayfield. A Baker's dozen one is what's gotten Cleveland to this point. Kevin Stefanski has done an outstanding job as head coach of this team. He is a coach of the year candidate. He's brought Cleveland to a 9-4 and four record. Baker Mayfield is the second best quarterback in football when throwing on the run. Here is where this gets interesting. So the Giants have the 11th ranked defense in the NFL, ninth in scoring. Right. Mm-hmm. I think the difference in this game right now is whether or not the Giants can contain the running game. You have a lot of big hogs up front that are going to be going up against Cleveland's O line. Right. So we have to account for who we have as well Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Dallin Tomlinson, and BJ Hill. This is not going to be easy for Cleveland at all, despite how good their offensive line is. Uh, it's a good offensive line against a good defensive line. So Hank, I think it's I think that's really the matchup to watch. And then in addition, you have to account for Jarvis Landry and Isaac Yadam. Bradbury was the sixth ranked cornerback on PFF, and he's not going to play. So it's it, that that could really come to fruition on on Sunday. Right, and <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I could kind of tell with the way the numbers were shaped, and I could kind of tell by the Eagles jersey in your picture. That's probably why I figured it was Westbrook. Not to mention he was probably one of your best players during those years too. Yep. Fly, Eagles, fly, huh? Back to it, Hank. Um, What's what's your next key to the game? I want to hear from you. What is one of your keys to the game on Sunday night? You know, Tom, you know, I can never stress this enough. Get off the field on third down. The Browns are a team who can use their run game as a weapon. Third down, it is absolutely vital that the Giants get off the field. That would be a big difference between the Giants winning and losing this game, in my honest opinion. Yeah, it's going it's to be very fun to watch because last week, I believe Arizona was around 30% on third down. Um, it's definitely going to be a key factor in this game. I love how you bring that up every week. And, of course, we lost this key. It's, it's an important thing. I can't it stress it enough. 
This next key and the last one is win the turnover battle. It's huge because this starts with better play calling by, well, I'm going to say Jason Garrett, but it will be Freddie Kitchens on Sunday and avoiding third and long. Third and long is where majority of your turnovers come on. Uh, the Giants have the 14th best rushing attack in the NFL. Utilize it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned they have to use Wayne Gallman more. They really do. Yes. And they have to try and not go three and out, not turn the ball over, not throw bombs on third and one, just stay ahead of the sticks and take into account that the Browns have a pretty decent secondary. Denzel Ward, eighth-ranked coverage corner in the league, and then Ronnie Harrison, the ninth-ranked safety, 14th in coverage. So these are guys you have to look out for. They're both young. Actually, the Browns traded with Jacksonville for Ronnie Harrison. And Denzel Ward, Ohio State guy, I mean, he's been a force since coming into the league. So definitely is a little bit uh, concerning for Colt McCoy and these Giants. They're going to have to – somehow, some way, find a way to um, pick their poison with this defense. Yeah, for sure. But let's move into our players to watch. And the first player to watch for the Browns, Hank, of course, is their quarterback, Baker Mayfield. Last week, he was great against Baltimore. He did throw his first interception since week seven but he did throw for over 340 yards and two touchdown passes. Baker threw 21 picks in last year in 2019. This year, only eight through 14 weeks. So he's he's been pretty good. Middle of the pack numbers as far as pro football focus goes, but the biggest thing is his non-divisional record is outstanding, 7-1. and one. He's only lost one non-divisional game and He's only been sacked 17 times. It goes to show you his offensive line is much improved. What did the Browns do in the offseason? They went out. They got two new tackles. They signed Jack Conklin, and they drafted Jedrick Wills. It's proved to be a difference maker. Yeah, for sure. I, I would agree with that. I think I think that that definitely, as one of my old football coaches used to say, you gotta you got to give credit to the offensive line. You sure do. Yeah. Can never underestimate how good – having how much how important having a good offensive line can be so that's baker mayfield and my next or well hank our next players to watch are two players we touched upon briefly but we have not really gone into depth about them yet and i like to call these two double trouble nick chubb and kareem hunt hank Nick Chubb had two rushing touchdowns on Monday Night Football, and Kareem Hunt was actually Cleveland's leading receiver in that game. Had a season-high six catches and also a season-high 77 yards with the one touchdown catch late in the game. I believe that was the Browns' last touchdown, actually. So, but Yeah, these, these guys, that's a dangerous combo. Got to watch out for them. Stopping these two will be vital. And if you look at the stats, too, I mean, Nick Chubb's PFF numbers, fourth in offense, seventh in rushing, and fifth leading rusher in football. He's averaging nearly six yards a carry. He has almost 900 rushing yards in just nine games. He's averaging around 100 yards a game, which is insane. Credit to the O-line. Again, Kareem Hunt, 772 yards. There's a chance the Browns may have two players with over 1,000 rushing yards come the end of the season. Uh Kareem Hunt also has five touchdown catches. Yeah. Yeah. I would not be shocked if they reached a thousand. 
with a good offensive line, it can it can definitely happen. So these are two other players to watch. Kareem Hunt is a big threat through the air. Chubb on the ground. And uh, Steve brings up another good point, which I completely agree with. Call me crazy, but I feel like Baker has played better without Odell. You are not crazy, Steve. Uh, we are Giants fans who do not miss Odell at all. We think the team is better off without him. And I think the Browns would be better off without him. In fact, Tom, I think we both can agree that the minute the Giants got better was the day that they traded Odell Beckham. Yeah. Yep, 100%. Uh, Hank, our last player to watch. We move to the defensive side of the ball. This is the last player to watch for Cleveland. We have two for the Giants coming up. It is Miles Garrett. Ten and a half sacks on the season. Fifteen quarterback hits. Four forced fumbles in the 11 games that he's played. Hank, his PFF numbers are through the roof. Whoever's um, whoever's guarding him, good luck. It's probably going to be Andrew Thomas. For all yeah. He's going to have his hands full for sure. Also, four of his 10 and a half sacks have come against the NFC East. Wow. Also, four of them have come over the last two games. Uh, a 90.7 pass rushing grade, second in the league. This guy is the real deal. My prediction is that he gets five tackles, one sack, and two tackles for loss in the backfield. Hopefully he does not cause any fumbles, but I think Garrett will make his presence known. So that's going to be crazy. And he's a pretty good run defender too for an edge. So I'll give him that. He's definitely a fun player to watch out there for Cleveland. So our four players to watch, Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, and Miles Garrett. Of course there's more, but these are the four that we are going to highlight for you tonight. There are a couple more we're going to mention before moving into the Giants players. And Jarvis Landry and Rashard Higgins, we know they're getting more involved in the offense. But similar to Arizona last week, the Giants have some old friends on the Cleveland Browns, not named Odell Beckham Jr., one of them being Olivier Vernon Hank. Yes, B.J. Goodson and Tay Davis being the other two. And these are guys who, the first two guys, again, I have a silent fear that these guys could have a good game against us. Why is that? Former Giants against the Giants. As I said in the beginning of the show, they'll never tell you that up close and personal, but you know anybody that's going to play against their former opponent will have that extra amount of motivation. They will, and Vernon has seven sacks this year. Two of them came last week against the Ravens on Monday Night Football. Well, just three nights ago, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, he's been a force. And then B.J. Goodson in 2020. Goodson has 84 tackles, two picks, six passes defended. B.J. Goodson wasn't a guy that was just not re-signed by the Giants. He was cut yeah. in favor of Ryan Connolly. So, oh, how ironic. Yeah. And now we have neither of them. Uh, so, but could definitely use Connolly now. I feel like we could, but B, BJ Goodson wasn't that good in coverage, um, which is why I think the Giants let him go. He was undersized, he was kind of slow. Good player out of Clemson, but um, yeah, you know, it's a shame. This game was supposed to be the Odell reunion, but we get the Olivier Vernon and BJ Goodson reunion. So that should be interesting. Tay Davis as well, but he's a special teamer for them. But yep. uh, Hank, let's talk about the Giants before we 
move into our game predictions and close out the show. So, Giants players to watch. Our first, well, our two, we're going to show them together. We're just going to show you one graphic, and uh, they're both on defense. Well, you saw Jabril before, but we we threw Blake in there as well. I mean, right now, without Bradbury on Sunday, in my opinion, these are the best two players on the defense at the moment. I know Leonard Williams had that big game against Seattle. I realize that, and he leads the team in Mm -hmm. sacks. But uh, these two are on the field the most. And Blake, 118 tackles this year. Two sacks, six tackles for loss, five passes defended, two forced fumbles, and one pick. He's played 97% of the snaps on defense, and his PFF grades, as you can see there below. Hank Blake Martinez is going to have his hands full going up against Austin Hooper, whoever it is, Cream Hunt. I mean, he's not the best pass coverage linebacker, but he's really good against the run, and he's always all over the place making plays. Yeah, I think he's going to be a huge factor if the Giants have any shot at upsetting the Browns. And I would have to say another big factor would be Spicy Peppers, number 21. Spicy Peppers, Jabril Peppers. And that's another game player who I think could have a big game because what does it all go back to? Motivation factor. Yep, went to Paramus Catholic right down the road. Well, right down the road in New, in New Jersey, well, not, not too far from me. So uh, – yeah, he um, he's always a fun player to watch. Two and a half sacks this year, eight TFLs, a pick, seventy-four tackles. Last five weeks has not missed a snap in any game, and played for the Browns the first two years of his career. Michigan guy, not a big Michigan fan, but I'm a big Jabril Peppers fan. I'll tell you that much. Um, I mean, I'm not a hardcore, but if I had to pick a favorite, it would be them. Yep, hundred percent. So. Jabril Peppers, Blake Martinez, our two Giants players to watch. We also need to keep an eye on Evan Ingram because he's our he's our leading receiver yardage wise. Uh, we have to get him more involved, and we we've been saying moment. what happened. You know, he can have a big game at any moment too. Right, there's plays that he makes these one on one grabs forty yards down the field against DBs that make you think, "Wow, I'm so glad he's on our team." And then you see these drops, and like, oh. This guy's on our team, you know? Yeah, Bob Papa made a similar remark when I was listening to a giant game a few weeks ago. He was like, he was like, I see all these opponent guys saying, oh, why do you complain about Edgar Engram? And then he brings up that he had just dropped the ball, and then he said, now you guys know that's why. I agree. I also think Kevin Zeitler, who is a former Brown in his own right, he played two yep. seasons for the Browns after playing five for the Cincinnati Bengals. So, Hank, Mike Too Nice, one of the Giants YouTube mm-hmm. content creators, he mentioned this before. This is the ultimate revenge game. There are a lot of Giants who are former Browns. and Colt McCoy played for the Browns last decade for three years. Jabril Peppers played for the Browns. Kevin Zeitler played for the Browns. Actually, Zeitler and Peppers were on the team for the same two years. And then Jabal Sheard is a Brown as well. Or was yeah, a Brown, right. I should say. And not to mention you have tight ends coach Freddie Kitchens, who that this time last year was still coaching Cleveland Browns. Him too. 
And we didn't even talk about Jabal Sheard. I mean, I know Leonard Williams isn't an edge rusher, but out of the edges that we have, like Coughlin, Jabal Sheard's our best one. Yeah, he's been pretty solid. He is. I would agree with that. Now let's bring up Browns, who are former Giants. We have Olivier Vernon. We have B.J. Goodson. And we have Tay Davis. Um, Goodson and Vernon will probably be factors in this game. We're going to have to limit their uh, playmaking abilities, know what their strengths are, diagnose them as an offense at the line of scrimmage because Goodson is – I don't know if – he probably is their leading tackler to my knowledge um, because he's an interior linebacker for them. And then Vernon and Garrett, that duo scares me a lot for our uh, tackles. Fleming, Thomas Pert, whoever's in there, it's going to be tough matchups. Yeah, definitely. Got to – and, again, it'll be interesting to see how Andrew Thomas handles handles one of his assignments there for those guys. So, at this time, we're going to make our game predictions before we sign off. Um, I'll let you go first because um, I know you put a lot of thought into these every week. And last week we were because we both picked the Giants to win. So this week, I know you kind of said, I know you had an episode on your other show, Review and Preview. You kind of pretty much said, I would ha- I'm would. i not going to doubt the Giants again. I'm not going to pick against them the rest of the year. I, on the other hand, did not make such promises or responsibilities. I don't know how you, you feel about this oh, game. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know I had Thank to get that. Yeah. I'm sorry. I had to. It was a punishment, okay? <laughs> Tom, it's all in good fun. You know I love you. I'm just giving you a hard time. It's all good. I made no such promises, and unfortunately, I think the Giants will keep it pretty close, but I think in the end, Cleveland's going to come up with the win. I'm going to say by a final score, I'll say 24-17, Cleveland. Okay. I agree with you there that, I mean – I'm not going to agree and say that like that's going to be the outcome, but I could very well see that happening. I could see the Browns controlling the game, Giants defense keeping it close. So, folks, before I make my pick, let, 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 let me really dig in here. Over the last few years, the Giants have done well when they are highly regarded as the underdog. They have that underdog status, and they're not supposed to win. That's true. Now, this situation is a little bit different because this is a much younger team. And yes, I did make a guarantee that the Giants would make the playoffs. And a lot a lot of people argue it starts with a win against the Browns after this letdown against Arizona. I picked the Giants to win this game before Jason Garrett got diagnosed with COVID, before Bradbury was placed on the COVID-19 list, and before Daniel Jones got a second leg injury. And that gives me more fire to make my pick for this game. The Cleveland Browns should win this game. They should win it by a possession or so, which is why I have the Giants winning 16-13 final. Colt McCoy does it again, improves the 2-0 as a starter as the Giants quarterback this year, and the Giants improve to 6-8 and will regain first place of the NFC East this weekend as long as Washington loses to Seattle. Book it. Giants win, baby. Hey, Tom, love it. I hope you're right, buddy. I hope you're right. I I like that. 
So I, I wouldn't be shocked if that happened too, because as you mentioned, the Giants have won games when they're not supposed to, but I was scared of this matchup even before all this happened. Unlike you, I did not have too much confidence. I know Cleveland is pretty dangerous throwing the ball. And I think that offensive line could really be a big factor in that department. So we'll see. I think both of our scores are very realistic regardless. And don't get me wrong, guys. I know yeah. the Browns. I, I know the Browns are an excellent football team. They're more than likely going to the playoffs, and we're going to have our struggles in this game. Something just tells me in my gut that we're going to win. But maybe yeah, this that's... is in fact because I want to be that one guy. I want to be that one guy that didn't do it the week we beat Seattle. So it's always interesting to have uh, conflicting score predictions. But hey, uh, no, I like it. And as I said, I really hope you're right. Yeah. If if Jones and Bradbury were there, I I think you could give us maybe a couple percentage ticks up. But, uh, Hank, anything you'd like to add here before we sign off here tonight? Um, It's been another fun show. I had, as always, I had a blast talking with you about the Giants. And, Steve, that was fun getting your perspective from an Eagles fan. I know we don't get that too often here, so that was pretty cool. And pretty much everyone who else who come, thank you. You guys were just as big a part of the show as we were. And – as always, Tom, thanks for having me. Lots of fun. Here's hoping we can get a big upset this week. Let's go, Giants. Let's definitely hope for it. And, Hank, thank you very much again for joining me tonight, as always, every week. Uh, remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you like what you see here at Review and Preview Sports. Smash the like button. Give us a thumbs up. Subscribe. We talk more than just Giants. We talk other teams as well. But this is our Giants-centered show. And uh, Steve would like to say great show. Appreciate it from – an Eagles fan to a Giants fan, right back at you, Steve. Good luck this weekend. I believe yeah. Philadelphia is playing the Cardinals, so hopefully, you know, hey, maybe we ding them up a little bit for you, so you never know. And, hey, the Eagles did have a great win against New Orleans last week, yeah. so they're right back into the thick of things in the NFC least. So uh, that should be fun. And for those of you that don't know, next week, obviously, with Christmas coming up, our schedule will stay the same. We're going to go two hours next week, Wednesday, 7 to 9 p.m., with a returning guest. You won't want to miss it. Big Blue Avenue next week, Wednesday, December 23rd, live here on Review and Preview Sports. On behalf of Hank and Dichter, I'm Tom Scavetta. Thank you all for watching tonight. Everyone have a good night and see you next week.